0: People who really enjoy sticking with that classic dairy milk will say, well, just flip it over and look at the ingredients list. Milk has just one ingredient. But then if you look at oat milk or any kind of other non dairy milk, you will see quite a few more.
1: Well, I do understand the concern because as a dietitian, we teach people like definitely read those labels. We don't want a whole long list of ingredients. So they're doing the right thing and looking at those labels. But I would say that on the dairy milk, there's a lot that's not on the label, there's just risks in there that they obviously don't put on the label. It's not in the ingredients list, but it's still in there.
0: Welcome to the exam room podcast brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the US and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Converse, Texas, Dickinson, North Dakota and Dijon, France. Wherever you are, we appreciate you helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 37 of season six, number 433 overall. A couple of episodes ago, we kind of previewed this a little bit here on the show. This research that has been done, a thorough analysis of plant-based milks and your traditional dairy milk, looked at all kinds of information to determine which is the healthiest and for what reason. Now, this analysis, it included four different varieties of cow's milk, the big four, and then also seven different types of plant-based milk. So we're talking about cow's milk. We've got whole milk, 2%, 1%, and then skim milk. And then with the non-dairy milks, we also have almond milk, both sweetened and unsweetened, soy milk, Sweetened and unsweetened as well and then oat milk coconut milk and rice milk all unsweetened so there are your 11 milks that were part of this analysis looking at their micros and their macros to determine which is the healthiest which are the milks that we really should be talking about which are the milks that we should be buying when we go to the store So we're going to get into that with Dr. Anna Herbie here on the program today. These findings were published in the International Journal of Disease Reversal and Prevention. Big time implications with these findings for your health. Cancer risk, hormonal risk, menopause. Of course, we're going to get into protein and the debate that traditional dairy milk has just one ingredient, yet plant milks have a long list of them. Does that even make a difference? Should it make a difference when you're deciding which milk is best for your family? And then in an audio exclusive here on the Exam Room podcast, we will also be joined by the Director of Government Affairs for the Physicians Committee. Our friend Andrew Bonovi will be here. He's got the latest on the battle by the dairy industry to outlaw the use of the word milk on any label for any product that is using milk any sort of quote-unquote dairy that does not come from an animal. So, you can't say milk. What would it then become? A non-dairy alternative. Doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. It's an interesting conversation with Andrew that we're going to have here in just a little bit. But first, let's rock and roll. Let's talk plant milk and dairy milk and put them head-to-head to find out which is best for you and your family. Let's get into it right now with Dr. Anna Herbie. For the first time, thanks so much for being here.
1: Hi Chuck, thank you so much for having me. It's really great to be joining you today.
0: This is a really interesting paper that you and our colleagues have worked on because you really did take a lot of different kinds of dairy milk and even more kinds of plant milk to get this analysis. How important was it for you to have so much variety when you're looking at all the different stats and nutritional comparisons here?
1: Yeah, it's pretty important, Um, more so, I think, for the non-dairy milks, because there's so many these days. There's almond milk, there's soy milk, there's coconut milk, there's oat milk. Um, So we wanted to make sure to get all of those included. And then with the dairy milks, we just looked at the different kinds of cow's milk. There's, There's also like goat's milk. We didn't really focus much on that, but we did look at full fat versus low fat versus no fat and just tried to get a a comprehensive picture as much as we could.
0: Let's start by not bearing the lead and then just straight up. When it comes to getting the biggest bang for your nutritional buck, which is your best option?
1: So I would probably say that soy milk has the most advantage. We do want to avoid those dairy milks. There's plenty of risks with the dairy milk, including like the hormones in there, the IGF-1, and not to mention just the saturated fat. But when you get the really want the most thing for your buck with the milk, I think it's soy milk because you do have a comparable amount of protein, not that you need protein from your milk. There's plenty of other protein sources, but along with the soy protein, you get isoflavones, and those have so many benefits from reducing breast cancer risk to lowering LDL cholesterol. So I think that that phytonutrient content is the highest than any other milk.
0: And when you're talking about the cancer risk associated with milk here, dairy milk in particular, um, what do we know as far as what research has shown as far as a person's risk for developing cancer when they are a heavy consumer of dairy?
1: Yeah, so it depends on the type of cancer, but the most research that we have is on prostate cancer and dairy milk and just showing that there's a stepwise relationship, the more milk, you're drinking, the higher your risk of prostate cancer. And that's for a few reasons. It's the the estrogen, actually, estradiol is in milk products, and that will raise a person's risk of prostate cancer, along with the IGF-1, which is a growth factor that's in milk. And when you drink milk, your body tends to make more IGF-1, whether it's from um, the protein, the sugar, the, the just extra calories that you get from milk, That then transfers to your liver to make more IGF-1, which then is just a growth hormone telling cancer cells to grow. Um, So we have large scale studies following a long, long period of time, large group of men, the physician's health study followed um, a very large group for a long time. And just those who are eating or drinking, we'll say more than two and a half servings of dairy milk a day had a significantly higher risk than people who were drinking less than a half serving of that milk. Um, so prostate cancer, we're pretty sure um, you should avoid drinking milk if you want to avoid prostate cancer. Then there's evidence also for ovarian cancer um, and some mixed results on breast cancer. But the more we learn, I'm, I'm really leaning towards you should avoid milk to avoid breast cancer as well.
0: So when you talk about the kind of mixed results, I mean, let's, let's just put it out there. What's kind of muddying the waters there a little bit?
1: There's, there's several different factors when it comes to breast cancer. Some of the research we have is just following people for, say, seven years, which you think that's a long time. But in the terms of cancer development, we really want longer than that. We want long-term studies for, say, 20 years if we can. And then there's different studies which will compare different amounts of milk drinking. Um, so if you're comparing, like, a cup a day to two cups a day, that's not really a big difference from the low group to the high group. Um, But in the Adventist health study, um, they really checked all those boxes. So they had a large group of women. They followed them for a very long time. And some of those women were just not drinking any milk at all. So we have zero intake. Some other research studies don't have any participants with zero intake of milk. So that's why their results are going to be different. But with the Adventist health study, comparing the highest intake of milk to absolutely no intake of milk, those with the highest intake had 50% higher risk of breast cancer. So I think that speaks a lot to the risk of consuming milk. Um, And then another factor is that we have dietary guidelines. The government is recommending drinking milk as a healthy thing. So people who wanna be healthy, they're exercising, they're taking care of themselves, they're told they should be drinking milk. So those other healthy factors could be confounding the, the data that we're getting as well.
0: Speaking of which, if a person is leading an otherwise healthy lifestyle, but they do drink two, three, four glasses of milk, they're probably eating cheese every day on top of that. Um, Is it possible to out-exercise your cancer risk? I mean, can you hop on the treadmill for two hours a day and suddenly that risk of prostate cancer, ovarian cancer, breast cancer comes down?
1: I don't think so. I think that diet is the most important thing. Um, whether it's for weight loss or cancer reduction, cancer risk reduction. um, You really want to focus on your diet first. There's not really a way to outrun a bad diet or to exercise it off because essentially you're still putting these things in your body. Your body still has to deal with the extra hormones, maybe extra pesticides from the milk or the bad diet. And exercise will help. It's better continue exercising. But the best thing you can do is a healthy diet along with exercise, um, along with avoiding alcohol. There's so many things we know can reduce risk of cancer. So it's I'd say diet is number one, and then do as much else as you can with your lifestyle as well.
0: Talking about exercise, that kind of brings us right, I think, naturally to protein. You mentioned it a little bit earlier. How does the protein in dairy milk, the quality of it, compare to the protein that was found
1: yeah, so several differences there. The protein in dairy milk, we've got whey and we've got casein. Um, casein, interestingly enough, it, it turns into quesomorphine. And the goal of that is to have the baby cow to, to feel good and to continue drinking. Um, the milk is really made for that baby cow. It's not designed for humans. Um, so those quesomorphines affect us and they're in higher concentrations in cow's milk than even in, in human breast milk. So we're consuming those, and that really contributes to that addictive quality. Um, but also the, the casein in there can just kind of turn on cancer cells. It can. It's a, a part of the risk of drinking milk versus the soy protein. Um, like we mentioned, the isoflavones associated with the soy protein, they have beneficial effects for reducing cancer risk and lowering LDL cholesterol
0: as well. What about as far as using that protein to build muscle, which a lot of people who go to the gym swear like, if you're not getting gobs and gobs and gobs of this protein, there's no way you're going to have any kind of muscles on you. So, in a terms to in terms of just pure muscle building and muscle mass, is is it fair to compare the two types of protein? Are they equal in that regard?
1: I would say they're they're equal, um, but it's better to get the plant protein because you're then you're not getting the risks associated with that animal protein and you can totally build muscle on a plant protein diet but you don't really need to overdo it with the protein because um, muscles they run off of carbohydrates that's the main fuel for muscles so if you're eating too much protein you're really reducing the amount of those healthy carbohydrates that your muscles need to regenerate and you get so much glycogen stores that's what causes your muscles to grow and that is the storage of carbohydrates so um There's there's too much emphasis on protein, I think, so we don't need to be worrying too much about it. You can also get plenty of protein from, um, you don't need that milk, you don't need animal protein at all. You can just eat a balanced diet with vegetables, whole grains, beans are a great source of protein. Um, There's no need to really focus too much on it.
0: And the other plant milks, we're talking about soy here, but the other ones you looked at the almond, the oat, the coconut and the rice milk, how much protein do they tend to contain?
1: Yeah, so those are pretty low in protein. And um, so if you're looking for protein in your milk, you would choose soy milk, like um, children would probably benefit from soy milk. But as adults, we don't really need to be getting protein from milk. So almond milk, oat milk, these are all great options.
0: And uh, let's talk about something that really seems to be found in high amounts in dairy milk, but not so much in the plant milks. And that is when you looked at the nutritional analysis that you guys have in your review that was published in the International Journal of Disease Reversal and Prevention, one thing that just jumped off the page at me was iodine. Why is there so much of it in dairy milks, but then just trace amounts, if that, in the plant milks?
1: Yeah, great question. Iodine is is really important, especially for breast health and for thyroid health. And it is found in cow's milk, but it's not that it's naturally occurring in cow's milk. They actually use an iodine-based disinfectant on the cow's teeth, and it seeps into the milk. Um, so that's how they're getting iodine in, in the cow's milk. And that's really not not the best place to be getting it. We can get plenty of iodine from eating things like sea vegetables. Um, that's one of the best sources, or even just iodized salt. So those are safer sources of iodine. Um, but that is maybe one of the reasons why we do see some benefit in where the mixed results in the breast cancer research, because of the iodine in the milk, is, it's good for um, breast health.
0: Potassium was another one where there appeared to be uh, some pretty big differences between the plant and or some of the plant milks versus the dairy milks. Um, In particular, there seemed to be quite a bit more potassium in, I believe, the soy and oat milks. Is that just a, there's more of it naturally in uh, each one of those two compared to the almond and coconut and rice milks?
1: Yeah, that's right. Potassium is naturally found more in in plant foods and not so much in Um, almond and rice its just how how the nature is. But potassium is great for lowering blood pressure. And it's one of those nutrients that people just tend not to get enough of, especially if you're eating a lot of processed foods, Um, you're going to get more of the sodium uh, rather than the potassium. And those two are needed to balance each other out. So if you're having too much sodium, um, that's a problem. Also, we just need to be increasing potassium in the diet. But Um, I would really depend more on foods for a source of potassium, like beans and vegetables. That's really the best way to get it.
0: Let's talk about the other two uh, big ones out there. When people think about milk, we talked a little bit earlier about the calcium. The calcium that is found in dairy milk, um, that has not been added to it. Like dairy milk is not fortified with calcium as it is with vitamin D. So the calcium that is in dairy milk, that is naturally occurring based off of the cows diet, correct?
1: Yeah. So the cows are eating grass, hopefully all day, every day, there's calcium in that grass, and then they're taking it, storing it in in their milk. And that's where we get calcium from um, the dairy milk. And then on the other hand, a lot of non-dairy milks now are fortified with calcium for that reason, just because they're trying to be comparable to the dairy milk. Um, But research is actually showing that Drinking more milk doesn't necessarily lead to strong bones. So the fact that it is a source of calcium doesn't mean that it's protecting your bones. Yes, your bones need calcium, but you also need a lot more than that. You need vitamin K, you need vitamin D. Um, so it's it's really not what we've been told when we were young that you have to have milk for strong bones. It turns out that's not actually the case.
0: Generally speaking though, when a food is fortified with an, one nutrient or another, um, how effective is the body in being able to absorb that, break it down um, compared to if it were to be found naturally in whatever it is that we're eating or drinking?
2: Yeah, that's
1: a good question. It's pretty comparable. Um, there's no reason to avoid fortified foods that have, say, fortified calcium. Um, yeah, or whether you get it from, from the, the green leafy vegetables or the beans or like a fortified glass of almond milk. But we do know there's certain foods that have higher absorption of calcium and even higher than dairy milk. So natural natural plant foods um, like beans and green vegetables, especially bok choy, um, the calcium absorption rate is going to be higher than than even drinking a glass of milk. So it's not it's not that drinking a glass of milk, you're going to absorb as much calcium as you would from eating those green vegetables.
0: Bok choy, eh? That's the calcium bomb right there is bok choy. It really is, yeah. How much bok choy might a person need to eat in order to equal what he might get, say, in an 8 or a 12-ounce glass of milk?
1: That's a great question. I would have to look up the exact numbers, but a serving of green vegetables, I would say if you can have a cup of those cooked leafy greens, like a cup of cooked bok choy, that would be a great serving to have.
0: And bok choy, I mean, that's just delicious. I mean, anytime I go out to an Asian restaurant, I tend to order something that's got an abundance of greens in it. Shocker. Um, but, you know, bok choy inevitably is among that. And so like that gets me fired up. I'm really excited now about some bok choy and my prospects have just gone up from making sure that I get some bok choy happening this weekend as well. So thank you very yeah. much. What do you do in the kitchen? I mean, you're a dietitian, so you got to get like all kinds of fired up every time you go into the kitchen. Uh, when you pull out something like bok choy, are, are you thinking more flavor or all of the nutrients that that particular food might have in it?
1: You know, I really think about both, um, with my leafy greens. I love to buy them. I'll buy some on the weekend and just chop them right, right there on, on the weekend, chop them for the week. And I, I like the flavor and I also like just knowing that I'm getting my greens for the day. So what I'll do is just kind of saute it with a or steam it, um, steam slash saute with a little bit of tamari and then add um, onion powder, garlic powder, maybe a little bit of chili if you're into that. And it's just so delicious if you let them steam and kind of simmer in that flavor. So um, that's, that's what I do with greens. And then of course have, have some meal with it, like throw in some beans, some rice, then you've got a great complete meal.
0: Do you like to go super gourmet in the kitchen or are you more of a, let's just kind of keep it simple and like really focus on the nutrients, but like there's a lot of flavor also in that simplicity. Where do you fall in that scope?
1: Totally, I love to keep it simple. Um, If I'm looking at a recipe and it just has like 20, maybe even more ingredients I just put it back on the shelf Um, because that sounds overwhelming (laughs) to me. But if you can have something with just a few ingredients and throw it in there, um, my favorite thing to do is just to add tamari, onion, and garlic powder. You can add that basically to anything and it tastes delicious. So that's my secret strategy.
0: Mm, Yeah. I find that hot sauce does the trick. I mean, like there's a brand out there that says that uh, you put that stuff on anything. And uh, sure enough, I mean, short of breakfast cereal, uh, it pretty much does go on just about everything. And I find that with that, you really don't need to have those like 20 to 30 ingredient recipes. I mean, it really... You can just steam a whole bunch of vegetables, put that on top of the beans and rice like you were just talking about, a couple splashes of hot sauce, and you got yourself a little flavorful masterpiece there. I love the simplicity of everything.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think people get overwhelmed by changing their diet because they think it has to be complicated, but it really doesn't.
0: Amen to that. We could do a whole other show on that. Um, but I want to get back to this milk study because it was so so well done and so comprehensive. Um, I want to talk to you about the carbohydrate analysis that you have in here. We were talking about how the body might uh, process uh, fortified foods versus naturally occurring nutrients. But I want to talk about the carbs in particular and the sugar uh, that was found there. How does the body break down the naturally occurring lactose in dairy milk versus um, the naturally occurring sugars in these plant milks? And then, just to throw a third thing on there, the added sugars that were put in the sweetened versions of the plant milks as well. How does the body break all of those down differently?
1: Yeah, so I think the main difference is that lactose um, has an enzyme, or you, you have an enzyme, the body does, called lactase, and we also have other enzymes that break down other sugars, like sucrose, um, and those tend to, we, we keep having them as adults, but lactase, which breaks down lactose, it tends to go away, like it's kind of built into our bodies as something to have as a child, because we're breastfeeding, and we do Um, break down the lactose in breast milk. Uh, But then when you get older, it it tends to go away for most people. There are some people with lactase persistence, meaning that the lactase enzyme is still there, um, especially if you tend to keep drinking milk. Um, If you stop drinking milk, you you might tend to lose that ability to digest it. Um, But that's a big problem with milk because people can't digest it, especially African-American people or people who are not of um, European descent, they don't have that enzyme and so it causes gastrointestinal issues, discomfort. And that's a real problem when we're requiring it in places like schools, they, they tell you, you have to have that um, little carton of milk on your tray. Um, but it really, a lot of people can't digest it versus the added sugars, the other sugars in plant milk, they tend to not cause that problem. There's not really an issue with breaking it down. Uh, the body just continues to have that enzyme.
0: What about for somebody who struggles with insulin resistance, has diabetes? Um, is dairy a no-no for that individual?
1: Yeah, so insulin resistance and diabetes, it's really related to to fat in the diet, and that prevents the insulin from working, from sending that signal that lets the sugar into the cell. So when you have a combination of fat and sugar in a food, that's like the recipe for diabetes, so if you're doing a lot of dairy, a lot of cheese, especially because if there's so much fat in there, that's going to block the insulin from working along with the extra sugar, which is going to just stay out in your bloodstream because you won't be able to absorb it as well. Um, so the fat, specifically the saturated fat in dairy is more of a problem for diabetes than um, the fat that we find in uh, the smaller amounts in soy milk or any kind of non-dairy milk
0: couple more things I want to touch on with you uh, before we wrap things up. And there is a link to the review right now in the episode notes or in the show description. So go ahead and give that a, a click for a real in-depth analysis on everything. Um, two, two more big ones. Um, number one, specific for women, what do we know about the um, effects that consuming dairy can have on menopause and menopausal symptoms? And is there anything similar that you guys saw with plant milk consumption on those lines
1: yeah great question chuck um because in dairy there's estradiol which is a form of estrogen and it's the exact same estrogen that our body makes Um, and you drink you drink a cup of milk and it's just absorbed so easily into your bloodstream and the fda has said that it's safe Um, to drink this small amount of estrogen. But what we do notice is it affects people's hormones, women's hormones, especially to have that extra estrogen coming in. Um, And they have found that women who drink more milk tend to have higher levels of estrogen. Um, And this can cause problems with say menopausal symptoms or uh, breast cancer as well. And then on the flip side, um, oh, going back one second. I'll just say that the reason there's this estrogen in the cow's milk is because they are milked while they're pregnant, because the the dairy is trying to get so much so much milk out of a cow, and that they only have a, about four years where they're producing milk. So they will just reimpregnate that cow, but still be milking it from that previous pregnancy. So all those hormones and fluctuations of pregnancy are in the milk that we're getting. So that then is absorbed as we drink it and that can really affect women in their menopausal or hormonal symptoms and then so on the flip side we have the soy milk which kind of does the opposite so it has a phytoestrogen and that unlike estradiol which is in cow's milk and it's in our body phytoestrogens we don't produce those they only come from plants phyto means plants Um, so what the phytoestrogen does it looks a little different but it kind of acts similarly to estrogen There's two different receptors in our body. There's the alpha and the beta, and these work kind of like a brake pedal and a gas pedal. So the phytoestrogens would step on the brake and kind of slow down that cancer progression, also calm down those menopausal symptoms like hot flashes. They found that phytoestrogen from soy can really help with hot flashes as well. So you get extra benefit. You avoid the cow's milk and that estradiol, plus you get some phytoestrogens if you switch to soy milk.
0: Right. right, And I guess that's part of why you went right up top when I asked you which, uh, which was the best nutrient wise, you said soy milk. So that there's another uh, check for that particular box. Um, yeah. Got to also ask you about cholesterol. I mean, you know, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of people struggle with high levels of cholesterol. When it comes to that Why was there such a huge difference between the dairy milks and the plant milks in terms of which is best for somebody who's trying to bring down those cholesterol numbers?
1: Yeah, a lot of it has to do with the saturated fat because dairy is pretty much the primary source of saturated fat that people are consuming um, in the United States. So saturated fat, when we we drink that, we eat it, it becomes cholesterol eventually in our bodies. And so that is what's going to continue to raise cholesterol. Um, and even low fat milk, say 1% milk, it's still like 21% fat by, if you look at it by percentage of calories. So people think they're doing a good job in drinking that lower fat milk, but there's still fat in there. So it's um, best to avoid it altogether. And then back to that soy milk, the um, isoflavones have just been found to reduce that LDL cholesterol, which is the, the bad kind. It's more sticky. It causes more problems in your blood vessels. Um, so that soy milk can reduce that number. I would just also r- recommend avoiding avoiding animal products in general, because anything that comes from an animal is likely to have cholesterol in it because our bodies make cholesterol. Um, if anything comes from a plant, you know there's no cholesterol in there. It's safe to eat.
0: I want to go back really quickly to you mentioned uh, about bone strength earlier, um, and that uh, from time to time on the show, we'll get a question from an exam room who we say, "Well, what about studies that show that you need to drink milk in order um, to have big, strong bones? Were you able to tease out anything from the data that you observed that shows that somebody who's drinking soy milk as compared to dairy milk was at a higher risk for bone fractures?
1: You know, we really didn't look too carefully at um, fractures specifically, we were more looking at the nutrients in the study and just noticing like the the overall population trends, like populations who drink a lot of milk, they still do have that fracture risk. And um, there's a lot, again, there's so much that goes into bone health beyond just calcium. So I would say that there's so many different factors going into those studies. Like if you're exercising, if you're smoking. If you get enough vitamin D, if you get enough vitamin K, all those things are related to bone health.
0: You know, one of the popular criticisms out there when it comes to dairy milk versus plant milk is, you know, people who really enjoy sticking with that classic dairy milk will say, well, just flip it over and look at the ingredients list. Milk has just one ingredient milk, dairy milk. But then if you look at oat milk or soy milk or any kind of other non-dairy milk you will see uh, quite a few more than just what's on that dairy milk as somebody who studies nutrition for a living as somebody who's now done this really thorough in-depth analysis what would your retort be to that criticism
1: well i do understand the concern um because as a dietitian we teach people like definitely read those labels we don't want a whole long list of ingredients so they're doing the right thing and looking at those labels. But I would say that on the dairy milk, there's a lot that's not on the label. There's hormones, uh, there's fat, there's there's just risks in there that they obviously don't put on the label. It's not in the ingredients list, but it's still in there. Um, on the flip side with some of these non-dairy milks, I do think that there's a lot added, especially if you go to like a, a coffee shop and you get that oat milk latte, they make oat milk specifically for coffee shops to make it like super frothy, so there's a lot of different stuff added, especially oil. So I I do recommend looking for the shortest list of ingredients because they're they're not gonna have no additives, but some of them like a soy milk you can find with um, like some of them will just have soy and water. But do check out the ingredients list. We don't really see too many risks of like these emulsifiers and thickeners. They're they're in there and they make it more satisfying for the customer. But um, as far as I know, there aren't really any risks that have come up from drinking those. Um, Again, people can make their own almond milk. You can make your own soy milk. That's just the best way to do it for sure.
0: Can we run down an ingredients list really quickly? I'll just pull this up. This is uh, one of the more popular national brands of almond milk here. Um, And here's what the ingredients label has on it. You've got filtered water and almonds. I'm assuming both no problem there. Um, The sweetened variety will have cane sugar in it. Unsweetened will not. And then you get into what I think that a lot of people might start to raise an eyebrow about or somebody who's not really familiar with plant milks and would just see, oh, milk versus all this other stuff. I'm going to go with cow's milk. Contains 2% or less of vitamin and mineral blend, consisting of calcium carbonate. So when you're talking about calcium carbonate, what is that? Should we be concerned?
1: No, I wouldn't be concerned about that. That's just the way that they fortify calcium in that almond milk to make it a good source of calcium.
0: Vitamin E acetate, same thing. Should we be concerned there? What is it?
1: No, um, that, as far as I know, is just vitamin E and the acetate makes it stable, so so it doesn't Um, go rancid.
0: And vitamin A palmitate. Uh, So vitamin A doesn't seem too nefarious, but the palmitate thing, what is palmitate? What's what's happening there? Is that okay?
1: Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's just a form of vitamin A. It's not anything extra that's added. It's just vitamin A is in there.
0: Sea salt. Um, Should you be concerned at all about the sodium levels in the various types of milk?
1: Uh, I don't think so. They don't seem too high. What's more concerning with sodium is going to be processed foods and eating out. That's where you're going to get the majority of sodium that can cause problems.
0: and gum.
1: Um, just a thickener. I haven't heard any red flags about that ingredient specifically.
0: And ascorbic acid. So uh, that's just another name for vitamin C, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's in there also because it helps to it helps with preservation. Vitamin C is an antioxidant.
0: All right, now here's the last one. And admittedly, I'm not going to kid you. Uh, even this time, so, you know, I will be like, huh, what does this actually mean? Because they never quite tell you. Natural flavor doesn't say what that natural <laughs> flavor is. Is that really something that we should be concerned about?
1: Well, I'll be honest that I also don't know exactly what that is. They don't tell us, do they? Um, I personally am not too concerned about it. Because most of my foods, I try to make them whole foods, like they don't have that label on there. So the amount of natural flavor that I'm consuming hopefully isn't very much. Um, But yeah, I'm with you. We don't know what it is. They, the food industry is really kind of playing a trick on us there. That's a good one.
0: Yeah, it is pretty interesting stuff, but uh, maybe that's a topic for another show. But uh, here's the deal. Outstanding job putting this review together. I mean, really, you did. You looked at so many different kinds of milk. What was it? Seven different kinds of plant milk, as well as four different kinds of traditional dairy milk. So um, just outstanding job head to head. We've got a link to it for you guys to get a closer look right now, if you would like. That's in the show description and in the episode notes. Anna Herbie, thank you so much for your time. This has been fantastic.
1: Thank you, Chuck. It's been a pleasure to be here talking with you about dairy and non-dairy milk.
0: Really interesting conversation there with Dr. Herbie. And if you would like to look at the full research that she and her team have published in the International Journal of Disease Reversal and Prevention, there's a link for you to do that right now in the episode notes. So thank you, Dr. Herbie. And now this for my wife, Julie. The
3: Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine is recruiting participants for a no-cost 12-week research study to evaluate the impact of a dietary intervention on pain, inflammation, and quality of life in individuals with endometriosis. Qualified study participants who are randomized to the Diet Intervention Group will receive support via weekly online group sessions with physicians, dietitians, and cooking instructors. These participants will also receive study-related nutrition education, practical tips, and cooking demonstrations to help transition to a low-fat, plant-based diet. Participants who are randomized to the control group will be asked to maintain their usual diets for the initial 12 weeks. At the conclusion of the initial 12 weeks, they will be offered 12 weeks of instruction in the plant-based diet. All participants will receive one-on-one study-related consultations with a dietitian and lab tests to check specific study-related health measures. Recruitment is now open, and the assessments and intervention will start in late April 2023. If you or someone you know has been diagnosed with endometriosis, lives in, or is willing to travel to Washington, D.C., and is not currently following a low-fat, plant-based diet, please go to pcrm.org endometriosis to fill out an interest survey.
0: Thank you, Julie. And let's continue the great milk debate here today. Obviously, it doesn't seem like there's much debate at all when it comes to which type of milk is healthiest. It seems like plant-based milks are absolutely, unequivocally, positively going to be the champions of health there when you compare that to traditional sources of dairy. However, the debate does roll on when it comes to use of the word milk because it seems that there is still, despite the fact that there is growing momentum to let plant-based milks in fact be called milk, there's a lot of people out there that say, no, 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 that is very misleading to consumers and it's not fair. It's going to cause confusion. But my next guest says, hey, look, that is hogwash. And in fact, there's evidence that humans have been calling other milks, even milk from plants, milk for over seven centuries so how can we be confused when we have 700 plus years of people already saying hey plant milk is milk well let's get into this director of government affairs for the physicians committee andrew bonovi joins me right now in an audio exclusive on the exam room podcast You and I, Andrew, now we are going to dive deeper into the debate over the term milk in terms of, well, should it be used beyond just that traditional dairy milk that Dr. Herbie and I were discussing earlier in the program? This has really been a debate that's been waging for some time. Where do things stand? Because I know at one point the dairy industry was really pushing back on any sort of use on anything being labeled milk that was not coming from an animal.
2: Yeah, that's right. Um, So much so that they've been asking the FDA the Food and Drug Administration here in DC, to kind of get involved here. And what the FDA recently did was issue guidance saying, no, it's okay for these milks to be labeled as, say, soy milk or cashew milk. Because of this rising um, consumer interest in this product, it's great to see FDA weighing in with, frankly, what's common sense and goes with hundreds of years of usage of the term We're able to see as early as 1300, uh, there are some references to soy milk and almond milk. So the public already knows that these are milk. So having the FDA come in and saying, yes, it's okay that these products be continued to be labeled as as milk is great to see. Here at the Physicians Committee, we recently uh, provided some comments to these proposed guidances to industry. And we mentioned this is common sense. Unfortunately, the other thing that the FDA recommended in their guidance to industry is for plant-based milks to contain some kind of label talking about the nutritional differences between plant-based milks and dairy milks. And you know, this goes back to the dietary guidelines that unfortunately are recommending, still to this day, recommending people drink dairy, which is unnecessary. But we said, well, if plant-based milks need to have or should be recommended to have some kind of label talking about the differences to, between nutritional differences between plant-based milks and dairy milk, as you heard my colleague, Dr. Herbie talking about, there are a lot of nutritional differences. In fact, dairy milk is just not good for you. It's been linked to all sorts of cancers. It's been linked to early early uh, onset of some cognitive issues to, to death and all sorts of things that, That should be on the label. We should be talking about how dairy milk has these health problems. So we recommended to FDA, let's talk about the differences between dairy milk and plant-based milks, because I think in the long run, plant-based milks, when you're talking about the nutritional value, is going to come up uh, the winner in the end. All right, let me play a little bit of devil's advocate here. Just indulge me as I
0: I dive back into my reporter background here. I think that it would be really easy for somebody on the dairy side of things to come at you and say, Well, now wait a minute, wait a minute, your common sense argument doesn't really hold weight here because everybody knows, and we've been taught from a young age, that milk is healthy for us. We need it for strong teeth and dense bones, and we need it to grow up, and we need that calcium, we need that vitamin D and the best sources of that as. You've been taught your entire life are milk and dairy products so are you finding that when you use the term common sense people are pushing back and saying well hey look you know maybe even common sense isn't that common in this
2: case not at all you know in fact you know as as long-time listeners of this podcast know there are no nutrients in dairy milk that can't be found in other foods and other other beverages that's just not not the case there's nothing that's in dairy milk that you can't get get from plant-based sources. But the dairy industry likes to think that there's some kind of like confused consumer just stumbling around the supermarket and that they're somehow confused when they go to the cold case looking for whatever milk that they're looking for. That somehow that these, consume, these confused consumers are picking up oat milk thinking it's dairy milk. But in fact, the FDA came out and said, no, that's, that's bunk, that's not true. In fact, consumers are seeking out these products specifically because they don't have dairy. Consumers are knowing um, that there are these options available, and they want to have them. This is a huge growing market. Uh, There are something like double-digit increases in the amount of sales, percentage of sales, of plant-based milks year after year. Um, Frankly, consumers know it's better for the health. It's better for the environment, it's better for animals, and they're seeking out these products. So frankly, I just don't think the dairy industry has a has a leg to stand on here on, on those claims.
0: Are we seeing other industries like maybe the egg industry taking a similar tact when it comes to other things being labeled as egg? Or did the beef industry come after the impossible group or the beyond group or any one of these other groups that are labeling things as burgers or sausage or anything like that?
2: Yeah, it's a it's a growing it's a growing um, it's a growing area of concern I think for the industry because they know that consumers are seeking out these different products and whether they're called a burger or called whatever it is there's some statutes that say well a burger needs to mean X and so there's a lot of things that can be challenged there once hey this is a free speech concern there are some concerns there and then there are just things that like I said are in common usage. Um, what you call a burger, whether it's black beans or otherwise, people know that's a burger, and they're not—they're not confused by that uh, whatsoever. So this—this this recent guidance by FDA is a, really a step in the right direction. It's true. I think that we have advanced as a
0: society that anybody who you know, any anyone who comes home with a package that's labeled veggie burger or black bean burger or anything like that, a quinoa burger, for goodness sakes. They pretty well know what it is that's in that package that they're they're right. bringing home, and they're not going to fool anybody with it. Um, As a matter of fact, the fact that it's not beef is touted blatantly on the front of the packaging. It's really, really <laughs> hard, to, in my opinion, to confuse it. So to me, that common sense argument just does not carry weight. I mean, you would literally have to be the last person on earth that would ever get any sort of sense if you if you fell for any of that stuff. Right. Oh my goodness gracious. Um, but on a more serious note here, when it comes to labeling, I would think that the ramifications of this could be massive moving forward every 5 years we update our dietary guidelines i mean do you see a connection here if we get that finality with the green light here to say yeah label you know plant milks as milk and then that could help also push the needle forward when it comes to reevaluating where dairy stands in the next set of
2: dga you know i do i do think that's a really important part point to bring up because so much relies on the dietary guidelines. In fact, FDA refers to the dietary guidelines and some of their rationale around the different, you know, labeling things for different nutritional content. So one of the things that we are working on here at the Physicians Committee is to make sure that those guidelines are not recommending dairy, like we've talked about. And if you've, like I said, if you're listening to this podcast, you know this. So I apologize for repeating, but there's nothing in in dairy milk that can't be found in in plants so we want to make sure that those dietary guidelines reflect that and when we change the dietary guidelines we'll see, we're going to be seeing improvements across the board in food policy and nutrition policy because so much relies on the dietary guidelines it's not just here when we're talking about milk it's also school meals it's also uh, social safety net programs like WIC and SNAP all refer to the dietary guidelines. So it's so important that we we make those critical changes there to make sure that you know dairy isn't a part of anyone's recommended diet.
0: And is there anything right now that our listeners, the exam roomies could do? Is it time for them to call their representatives, their congressmen, their congresswomen and say, hey, look, I mean, we really need to take a good, strong, hard look at this.
2: Yeah, I think one of the things that we'll be working on in the coming weeks is, um, you know, making sure those dietary guidelines are changed. And right now we have all sorts of information on our website about what we're doing to upgrade the dietary guidelines at PCRM.org. You can find that there. And at some point, the, the agencies are going to be asking for members of the public to say what needs to be changed about this. And we're going to be letting you know about all of the all of the opportunities that the public has to weigh in on on why exactly the dietary guidelines need to change.
0: There it is, my friend, the Director of Government Affairs here at the Physicians Committee, Andrew Bonovi. I appreciate your time, my friend.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be back here on the exam room. Okay, so I did some digging after
0: speaking with Andrew and wanted to get some of the business side of things. Wondered how popular actually is the dairy alternative market. I'm not even going to say the word milk here. We're going to call it the dairy alternative market. Well, this dairy alternative market, D-A-M, is in fact damn popular plant milks ah see I did it whatever plant milks right now account for 15 percent of the total milk market that's a big chunk but that number is going to really explode here in the coming years investors are looking at a few key metrics among them is what's known as the compound annual growth rate this is a big one so in 2021 that was 35 billion dollars that's a lot of money but then flash forward to 2030, you're looking at more than $123 billion. Enormous growth. So why is that? Well, business analysts over at SM Strategic Marketing Research say these are the big factors. Number one, we're just getting smarter when it comes to our own health. They say that people are wising up to the increased incidence of chronic lifestyle-related illnesses, plus sensitivity to animal proteins. Then there's also global acceptance of people being vegan. The veg curious, and it's not that big deal anymore. Also... It's not just our own health, but the knowledge of the health of animals who are being used to propel these industries, these traditional dairy industries, make them a lot of money. We know how these animals are treated, and we know that the lives that they lead are horrific and unhealthy. But then back to human health, we're also noticing an increase in the number of people who are actually lactose intolerant around the world. So fewer and fewer people want to drink something that's actually making them sick. What's the point? And this is going to continue to be a growth industry for some time because this same research group says about 45% of people who are eating vegan food right now in the United Kingdom are between the ages of 15 and 40. So that is a very young customer base. And it's exploded. It's popular among the younger demographic and it's getting even more popular. It's grown by 300% over the last decade. So you get them going when they're young and you keep them around because you see the health benefits. And they're not going to experience nearly the levels of chronic disease and chronic illness that others and their families have in the past. Hopefully they can end that unhealthy cycle, lead healthier lives. And one of the big factors here is dairy. So they are going with the more plant-based route. But then specific back to milk, if you're just curious as far as like what kind of milks people are buying... Well, 70% of the plant-based milks that are being purchased in grocery stores over there are flavored milks. Probably have some added sugar to them. Only 30% of people are buying plain plant milks. Count me among them. I find unsweetened almond vanilla milk to be absolutely delicious. No problem with that whatsoever. I'll just drink a glass of that straight up. Now, as for the most popular types of plant milk. If you really want to get specific here, this is as of 2021. No surprise, almond milk is absolutely king. Almond milk owns about two thirds of the market by itself and then followed in order by oat milk, soy milk, coconut milk, rice milk, and pea milk. So almond, oat, soy, coconut, rice, and pea. Which is your favorite? Heard from a lot of exam rooms that say, "Man, you gotta, you gotta back off on that almond and get on the oat train." I like oat milk, I do. But man, do I love that unsweetened almond vanilla milk! Holy moly, is that tasty to me? But anyway, if you would like some more resources on dairy and the health implications that it can have for you, be sure to check them out right now on pcrm.org, or just click that link in the episode notes. Tell you what, had an awesome time out at the Fairfax Veg Fest over the weekend. Got the opportunity to catch up with Dr. T. Colin Campbell and his wife. They were out there, so it was really good to see them. The Doc and Chef, Dr. Jim Loomis, and Karen Dugan, STL Veg Girl, they were out there. They did a live cooking demo, live episode of the Doc and Chef, I guess you could say. Dr. Baxter Montgomery was there, so good to see him. Of course, my friend Vegan Strongman, Robert Cheek and Leif from the Vegan Gym, was also out there. Gene Bauer. And then, of course, Gwen Whitaker from Green Fair Organic Cafe and Restaurant was there as well. So, thank you so much to Gwen for hosting us. Just a tremendous undertaking that she had to put the Fairfax Veg Fest on. But man, this thing was a home run. I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you, it is absolutely one of the premier Veg Fests in the entire country. And no surprise that I met exam roomies from all over the country who flew in for this thing, including a family from Illinois. I mean that blew me away coming all the way in from the chicago area also met barbara who's on a health journey right now an incredible journey really want to pull for her definitely on team barbara there and then ally from plant wise who was there celebrating her birthday along with her friend and co-worker angela and ally's husband actually is a stroke survivor so now ally with her company Plantwise, is really working to help educate others about the importance of diet there raise their health iqs so really cool to be able to spend part of her birthday with her and just to say hi and i was just struck at the end of the day also thinking about all of the incredible exam roomies who came up and just were sharing these incredible stories of health improvements and transformations and if you add all of them up over the course of one day we're talking about hundreds of pounds that you guys have lost and this is one event in one city and I'm just wondering like how big of an impact is this show really having on people's lives so this is one event in one city and I would love to think it's probably too much to hope to even think That we're talking well over a thousand pounds that has been lost and blood pressure coming down, diabetes being reversed, cholesterol coming down, heart disease, lower risk of stroke and cancer. I mean, just on and on and on. It's not just the weight, it's everything that comes with it. And just to know that this show has played a little part in even one person's life, just is the coolest feeling in the entire world. So... Thank you to everybody who came up and said hi and shared your story with me. Just absolutely, absolutely a phenomenal, phenomenal weekend. So let's keep the party going, right? Let's keep talking about these transformations. I'm going to be at the Planted Expo at the Toronto Entercare Center in Canada here, Ontario. Just a little bit. I'm going to be speaking there this weekend, April 30th at 230 right after our good friend from Plant U, Carly Bodrug so maybe we'll do a little shuck and jive in between presentations. She's so much fun. Dr. Michael Greger will also be there along with our friend, Dr. Matthew Nagra, and of course, John Badass Vegan Lewis, which by the way, I heard from a lot of people this past weekend at the Fairfax VegFest as well that loved his interview. They thought that he was just the coolest. And of course, the big exam room live and in person, July 12th at the Museum of the City of New York. That's at 5th and 103rd up there by Central Park. So really do hope to see you there. Dr. Neil Barnard, myself, special guests to be announced. We're going to make it a big, big, big show, but you got to lock in your tickets today. PCRM.org slash events to join us or click that link in the episode notes. Also back in the D.C. area on June 4th at Planet Bethesda in Bethesda, Maryland. PlanetBethesda.com for all the details there. But for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Anna Herbie and Andrew Bonovi for being here and raising our milk IQs. And for everyone at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based.